Free thinkers, and welcome back to our first Free Thought Project podcast of 2023. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist, and the Free Thought Project contributor, Don Vi Jr. Hope you all enjoyed the holidays. We certainly enjoyed our three week hiatus, but today we are back with an amazing guest. Our guest this week is Xander Arena. Xander is a nuclear medicine technologist and a radiation safety professional in his day job, but as this podcast indicates, he is also one hell of an independent researcher and investigator, and by the time this conversation was over, our heads were spinning about all the intricate details he pieced together about the Vegas shootings and the laughable official story the Vegas authorities presented us. In this interview, we talked about the video of the three helicopters between the hotel buildings that appear to be emitting muzzle flashes. We talked about Xander's FOIA request to the FAA about those helicopters. We also get into the evidence that claims the body on the 32nd floor wasn't Stephen Paddock's and how multiple state and federal agencies actually blocked investigations. We even speculate on who could have orchestrated an event of this magnitude and why the Vegas shooting has basically stopped being talked about by the mainstream media. This conversation was quite the eye-opener, and certainly one you'll likely have to listen to twice just to grasp everything that was shared. Welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast, Xander. We're thrilled to have you on and, and joining us today. This conversation has been a while in the making, but I know our audience is really going to enjoy the research and analysis on the Vegas shooting, which is a topic you've invested a lot of focus on. Now, for a little background, uh, you were recommended to us by a previous podcast guest by the name of Awakened Adam, who joined to talk about his experience as a 9-11 first responder at the Pentagon and detailing his observations there. And definitely check that out, guys, if you haven't listened to that one. It's a great episode. But Adam highly recommended you as an expert. We want to talk to you about that at some point. But while we were talking via email, you revealed that your work on the Las Vegas shooting was pretty in-depth, and that's something that you've taken a, a hard look at. And that was a story that we covered very closely when it happened. And it's a story that seems to resonate very much with our audience uh, in part because it left so many unanswered questions on the table about the incident, with the FBI finally concluding, what, like two years later after the event, that they had no idea what motivated the alleged shooter, Stephen Paddock, to engage in the mass shooting. So I guess the first question I should ask you is, what, in your opinion, is the most eye-opening bombshell revelation that your research has led you to? And uh, yeah, I guess we could start there. Okay, pleasure to be on the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, excited to share all of this information with the public. Um, the most bombshell revelation that I can provide is that the body, which was discovered on the floor of 
The 32nd floor, room 135, is not Stephen Paddock. From there, um, we may assess that there was shooting happening from other locations, and we're going to kind of get into the weeds on that. But I can say definitively that that, uh, that decedent was not Paddock. That's definitely a bombshell revelation and uh, yeah, a great way to, to start off the show. Um, so you have, you know, you sent some some evidence and some information to us prior to this recording uh, via email. And we had a chance to look at some of the images that you shared. And uh, one of the images was looking at both Paddock and uh, I guess, I don't know, this other proxy or, or whatever you want to call this individual who happened to be laying on the ground deceased. And it looks like there was a significant difference in the ear structure. And unfortunately, that was kind of one of the only cues that we have to really play off of as far as evidence, because there wasn't a lot that was provided after the shooting and, and as far as um, body that was involved. But uh, maybe can you give a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the ear structure is key. Um, and fundamentally, it actually is enough. However, there is more. Um, so what happened was when the FIT team breached the room, uh, one of those officers took a high resolution image of the body on the floor and sent it to a colleague. We know this because this image appeared in body cam footage of other officers down on the ground on their own cell phones. It then quickly dispersed to the internet um, where it was disseminated widely. In a press conference the following day under Sheriff um, the undersheriff of the LVMPD confirmed that the picture was authentic, as well as other images of the room, which were leaked to the media. Uh, in this image, you see uh, a gentleman who is clearly dead um, and his ears, uh, the right ear in particular, is, is very discernible as having a detached earlobe. So the detached earlobe is a common feature for most humans. I think it's about 10 percent that have attached earlobes. And all images of Stephen Paddock in public circulation uh, show that he has attached earlobes. So this fact is an irreconcilable difference. There is no way around it other than if perhaps he had had some sort of ear surgery. Um, clearly, there are no marks of cutting or other sorts of abrasion on the lobes. And there's actually footage of, and it's not great resolution, but there's images that the hotel provided of him in the days before the event. Um, they say is Stephen Paddock, and but whoever that individual is has um, attached earlobes. So whoever this guy on the floor is, uh, the ears don't match. And I want to clarify one thing that this um, incongruity is so important because Wired Magazine uh, did an expose on the fact that earlobes and well, the ear structure, outer ear structure is so unique in, in between humans that it could be used as a biometric identifier. Um, it is as good as a fingerprint. So and, and that has to do with, you know, the, the helix and the crux and all the different features of the ear. But each of our ears are, are incredibly unique. And we're talking about being able to differentiate between over six billion people on this planet. Um, via ears. And so this is not some kind of small discrepancy. So that's one feature. And then I, I got a few more. Any any questions on the ears or you know what you what you perceived when you saw those images? Do you have any idea of like of who that is or why would they would need to change out the body or anything like that? Yeah, I've got some I've got some notions on that. So um so if I were to put myself in the minds, let's say this is a diabolical plot, okay? And you want to uh, fire on a crowd of individuals and let's set motive aside for, you know, for a second. Um, in the West, we have a lot of uh, 
people, citizens who who are armed. We there's a lot of folks who carry sidearms, you know, are happy to jump in a fight if there's a problem. And if you were going to conduct an operation like this, I don't think that you would want to risk um, being intervened on as the shooters in that Dallas uh, affair were by some, you know, by a cowboy, basically. So you would want to have your shots coming from a secured location. And then, you know, if you could have a sniper's nest set up in advance to, to run the story, I think that would be advantageous. Uh, it would help to ensure that your operation was a success. Um, so backing up to who this person might have been, um, what we can say, and we can say this because of the autopsy report from the Clark County coroner, is that that person was six foot one uh, feet tall. And he also had brown eyes. And he also had uh, macules or moles all over his back. And he also had very bad teeth. Okay. So those are some things that we can say about him. Um, we do not know his official time of death. The Clark County coroner did not speculate on a time of death officially. Um, they only listed the toe tag delivery time as time of death. Now, I'm going to add one thing. In my investigation of uh, Vegas, I was at a gun show here in Phoenix, and I happened to have an interaction with a gentleman who claimed to have been on the uh, counterterrorism task force as a volunteer force, but uh, there in Clark County. And he said that um, the buzz that was circulating in their community was that the original time of death indicated by the coroner was eight hours prior to the shooting. Um, and that got scrubbed from the final report. So those are things we can say about the body. And we need to clarify now that um, a lot of that was inconsistent with what we thought of Stephen Paddock because his, uh, his hunting permit and some other stuff was circulating online showing he was much taller. His All of his pictures show he has blue eyes. Um, but we confirmed that with FAA medical records, Paddock was a pilot. And so he was required to do a, a formal physical every two years. And um, Mudrock News was able to get those records uh, released in 2018. And so we have official uh, federal records that he was, in fact, six foot three, that he did have blue eyes, um, and also that he had a scar on his back from a back surgery, things that were not mentioned in the autopsy. Um, I have spoken to other coroners and, um, and bombers and, and folks involved in the, in the medical examining process. And when I have chatted about the likelihood that they could have missed the measurement of his height by two inches, uh, their jaw drops, their eyes are open. I get responses like it was the wrong body. It's, that's not the sort of error that that a professional like that would make. Uh, nevertheless, eye color and others. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really it, there. So these are big mismatches. Right. And so we don't just have the ears. Now we've got some other corroborating factors. Um, there are other things to consider about this body laying on the floor. Uh, it, the fit team report um, has this image. It's like a lateral view of this corpse uh, from far away and it's low resolution. But you can clearly kind of see this demarcation of like blood settling mm -hmm. in the body. Right. There's like this redness right. down there. And that, that's an indication of what's called liver mortis not rigor mortis, but like the, the blood pooling, uh, that takes time for that to happen, you know, but these officers breached the room and, and took a picture kind of right away. So you know, whatever's going on there, th this guy had probably been there for, for a while. And I'm inclined to speculate that it, that it might've been eight hours prior to the shooting. There was in fact a report of a singular gunshot coming from the Mandalay Bay earlier in the day. Um, I don't want to hammer down a time because I, I don't want to be off, but I, I do recall hearing that. So that's an interesting thing to consider. So, um, yeah, any questions on all that?
Uh, actually, yeah, or maybe not necessarily a question, but just another interesting factoid to sort of throw into the mix. Uh, one thing that has always really beguiled me about it has been a lot of the discrepancies with the autopsy reports, a lot of the things that you mentioned, and also the fact that how Clark County was so hesitant to release a lot of information early on. I know before my joining the Free Thought Project, I did a lot of research on Vegas, and a lot of what I learned came from Matt and Jason's reporting on the incident just following it. And there were two reports that Free Thought Project put out in early February of 2018, the first one being that uh, Clark County was essentially disobeying court orders to release Stephen Paddock's autopsy. That was reported February 1st, 2018. And then on February 18th, we also reported that one of the autopsy documents, which uh, it, at least in October of 2021, because that's when I double-checked the Clark County documents myself when I wrote a report about the whole incident, um, at least in October of 2021, it had not yet been updated that there were official documents saying that he actually died one day after the shooting, um, which is also a, such a, a wild discrepancy, especially now hearing that there are reports that he died prior. Now it's, you know, after. Yeah, so there's so many weird anomalies. Clarification there. So that is a 10 to death, and that's the toe tag delivery. So because he was delivered after midnight, um, they're using that as the time of death, as um, October 7th. Oh, okay. I think that's where that comes from. Yeah, okay. but it, it doesn't make any sense that in such a significant criminal investigation that they wouldn't at least speculate on a time of death if you're truly trying to resolve what happened that day, you know? Right. And at the end of the like, even that, like that's still sort of under uh, overshadowed by the fact that they're just not really cooperating with the court orders to release the information in a timely manner, which, you know, goes to ask the question of what are they trying to hide? Why would you not release it, especially at such a time when the investigation is so pertinent? It makes you wonder. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue into one of the other things I want to talk about, which is how crazy the, um, the, the cover up or collusion has been to prevent us from knowing the truth in this matter. So here's uh, where I want to go with that. Um, with this leaked image, what I sought to do was to try to corroborate the image um, from an official source. Right now, I, I later uh, don't feel that that's important because we have the image on the body cam footage on the officer's cell phone. But at the time, I thought, well, let's just see if we can get it from LVMPD. So I started asking LVMPD in uh, in early 2018 um, for official crime scene images of the of the body, and I also started asking Clark County um, through official processes for X-rays, radiographs, images during the the autopsy during the medical examination. Um, and I got so much pushback from them. Um, I, I did written requests. I did phone calls. Um, at one point, being very polite with an individual at the at the coroner's office, he kind of like flipped and he goes, what are you accusing us of? And it, and it was a strange response, given that I was just simply asking for, for images in a non-threatening or, or in accusatory way. Uh, it just seemed so suspicious. Um, the court in Nevada ruled that the public was entitled to um, all of this information. Um, they, uh, via a family member, um, whoever this person was, was in fact uh, cremated. The only official linkage uh, to Stephen Paddock was um, via fingerprint 
match. That's how the FBI says that they matched this body. Um, so it begs the question, what's the chain of custody of those fingerprints, right? I mean, you could take a fingerprint from, I mean, if there's no chain of custody on the fingerprints, then, you know, you could be matching anybody's fingerprints, right? Um, so it's just really suspicious. And I, I, I am actually going to be, um, I've got the URL. I don't have it up yet, audience, but um, keep your eye on a, a website called vegastruth.org because I'm going to be posting a lot of the uh, images of this correspondence, PDFs, that kind of thing. So you can kind of digest and, and look through and, and see what kind of friction we've gotten in trying to sort out uh, what actually happened. With respect to LVMPD, um, they ultimately claimed that um, Stephen Paddock had a right to privacy and that that is why they will not release the images from the crime scene, which on its face is absurd, right? I mean, this guy is allegedly a mass murderer of over 50 people, tried to kill thousands, and he has a right to privacy, excuse me. Um, they, they have released images of, of dead uh, citizens via body cam, and they're protecting this guy, they're protecting this asset. So, um, I filed a complaint with the Internal Affairs uh, Division there at LVMPD. Uh, I got some reasonable communication back and forth with them, but ultimately it was a dead end. The lawyers from uh, from the police department got involved, and, and I've got that letter from them saying that he had a right to privacy, and that's why they're not going to release it. So I then countered with a request. I said, okay, um, how about just tell me what pictures you do have? In other words, don't show me the pictures. Just tell me the, the log files, you know, what images, what, what views, uh, you know, at what point in time did you take these images? And they responded back saying, uh, we're not going to provide you anything. Ask the FBI. Um, so, you know, there, it, what that tells me is that this um, cover-up extends beyond LVMPD. Um, and so I don't know what federal components may or may not have been involved, but uh, clearly there's there's not an interest in getting it. I, I challenge the public to try to get an official high resolution image of that corpse. Yeah, that that seems highly suspicious, especially considering this was the largest mass shooting in recent history, you know, and that was something that was supposed to be very significant. And for a, a short period of time there, the media really played up on that. Now, it was, according to ABC, about 75 minutes between the first shots until police entered the suite. And yeah, I, I would suggest that's probably not enough time for the blood to really change its, its form. But um, there just seems to be so many, as you and Don have both mentioned, so many discrepancies and so many problems with the official story. And not only the official story, but the stories that they would give us would continue to change. Now, one thing that you touched on already was uh, the multiple shooters theory. I was maybe hoping to get into that a little bit more. I know that there was uh, the footage that you had sent us, Xander, of what looked like uh, a helicopter possibly flying at a very low altitude and uh, shots. You could actually see the muzzle flare coming out of this helicopter. And that's something I'd like to talk about as well. I also remember hearing during the time that there was footage and speculation that there was actually shooters in the crowd. And then one other thing, too, was there were shots apparently fired from other hotels that same night. So do you have any information on any of these things? Uh, yeah, I do. Absolutely. Let's, it's a, let's get into that. Um, I want to tidy up one last thing on the room, and it's an interesting point. The last two shots of the evening were at 10, uh, 16 uh, p.m. And there's footage of uh, these folks down at a bus stop down below the building. And right after those two singular shots ring out, only then does one a woman say there's glass falling from the Mandalay Bay. 
So how does an alleged suicide shot end up with a dead person and then glasses falling from the from the building? I don't know if those uh, percussive sounds are them breaking the glass out. I don't know what the deal is there, but it's it's a curious finding. Um, so let's talk about these uh, other shooters. Well, the police responding to the 32nd floor are on body cam saying, we have reports of two shooters, two shooters, there's two shooters, right? So um, they're clearly clued into the fact that there's multiple shots fired. When you listen to the audio audio of the, of the event, what you'll hear are differing rates of fire. So there's one very clear uh, sequences of, of shots that are at about 600 rounds per minute. Um, it's got a very uh, distinctive cadence and it's consistent with a belt fed weapon uh, like a 240 Bravo. Um, the other sounds that you'll hear um, might be more like a, a bump stock. It's a little bit of like a faster varying rate. But what's so important is, is that these overlapping rates of fire cannot be fired by the same singular person at the same time, right? You can't fire a belt fed weapon and there were no belt fed weapons in that room. Um, while simultaneously firing a bump stock. Um, we were told by uh, the manipulating media that those differing rates of fire were because of echoes off the buildings, and that is physically not possible. Echoes change the pitch of a sound, but not the rate, okay? So the sound travels at the same rate, so the cadence of fire is not going to shift. Um, so we know that there were multiple um, multiple. Uh, weapons used or at least the sound of multiple weapons and that's a curious finding so there are people that did report possibly shots in the venue um i don't have any definitive knowledge of that i, I can't say one way or another there were with certainty reports of shots in other hotels further up the strip so far up the strip that that is it is not possible for anybody in the mandalay bay vicinity to be um shooting inside of those hotels further up the strip so this is now I'm getting into speculation territory, but again, if you were an operative team who had a staged sniper nest and you wanted to um, confuse law enforcement, you might um, fire in lots of different locations. You might use blanks. Uh, you just would create chaos. And in that process, um, potentially could fire more securely from a different location until you had a sufficient number dead. I, I don't know if that's what they did, but that's my guess. Um, I don't think we have reports of casualties in those other uh, hotels. And so that's why I wonder if they didn't just, you know, send in people with blanks. Um, but with certainty, yeah, there were reports fire, you know, from other, other hotels um, further up. So talking about the airspace between the hotels and these helicopters, your instincts, I think, are correct. You said muzzle flash. Those are what my instincts are also. Um, but we can't quite yet prove it's muzzle flash. But let's talk about those flashes. So... Um, concert goers, uh, reported being shot at, you know, from the air, right. From an elevated position, shots were raining down on them. Um, there was an individual who had a high definition GoPro on, and he was watching Aldine having a good time when the first shots rang out. And this footage is widely available, uh, online. It's called Vegas first shots. So this guy, he runs with the rest of the crowd and records a continuous high definition sequence of footage. Then I want to say it's about eight minutes into the shooting. He's taking cover and he looks up towards the hotels because the, the crowd is kind of discerned that shots are coming from that general direction. And they're looking up at the hotels. They're trying to figure out where it's coming from. And you can see these flashes of light between the Mandalay Bay and the Delano in the airspace there. And there are at least three different uh, loci of light and they're at different altitudes. 
and they're relatively stationary. They're not moving like a plane would be moving. Um, and this led uh, the public to start investigating uh, aircraft activity. And so we used Flight Radar 24, which is a publicly available um, uh, site where you can watch air traffic, helicopters, planes, et cetera. And we discovered that 15 minutes before the shooting, three EC-130 tour helicopters uh, operated by a Maverick helicopter turned their transponders off behind the Mandalay Bay, which is a violation of Title 14, Code of Federal Regulations, in Class Bravo airspace. Um, and so, curiously, these three helicopters went dark. Uh, then the shooting breaks out and we see these flashes of light between the hotels. Now, at the time that the flashes of light are happening, um, per, uh, I think it's mode C, um, there, there are no aircraft that are supposed to be in that airspace. There are no planes that are going to be there that would be visible from that vantage point of the, of the GoPro. Um, there are no uh, helicopters that are supposed to be there, right? There's no traffic that is supposed to be in that location. In other words, that is in compliance with federal regulation. So um, we asked the question, well, what, what are they then? Let's find out. So um, this was a long process. I FOIA'd the FAA and I asked them uh, if they could provide the primary radar returns um, from McCarran Airport at that point in time. And I got a very strange reply saying that, and I, and I used the flight radar data to use tail numbers. So I asked for specific tail numbers. I asked for their departure time, arrival time, uh, primary radar, secondary radar, just again, all this information from an official source. The FAA responded in an official letter uh, signed by a guy named Michael Artist that they would have no record of those helicopters because they only track aircraft using visual flight rules uh, uh, paraphrasing his response but more or less that's it which was really strange to me um now michael artist uh unless there are two michael artists at the faa michael artist happens to be the same individual who tracked flight 93 back in 2001. Um, so if it's the same michael artist then he should know better um, I went to a local airfield here in Phoenix and I spoke to the uh, folks there at the, at the airport and they said um, categorically it is their response was absurd that they would have a record of those helicopters. The guy pointed to a helicopter on the tarmac out behind him. He goes, you see that guy? He's, he's got his transponder on right now. They're required to communicate with the tower. It's class Bravo airspace. They're not telling you they know something. They must be doing an investigation. I said, okay. So I went home, not satisfied. Uh, I spent Martin Luther King weekend of 2018 reading all of Title 14 Code of Federal Regulations. And I found specific, uh, you know, rules that require the FAA to track these helicopters. And I filed an appeal. So the appeal was strong enough that I did get a response from FAA. And they said, we can't give you this information because it's part of an ongoing criminal investigation. So, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, all right. So, uh, but wait, there's more. Um, you know, I, especially because of all my research stemming from 2001 and beyond, um, you know, I, I know that we can't always trust all of our, um, you know, our compartmentalized authorities. And what makes the United States great is checks and balances, you know. Um, so I just kind of wanted to share the sandwich. And so in my appeal, I copied a lot of people. Um, I copied the DOJ criminal division, the DOJ civil rights division, because we might forget, but our right to life is is pretty important with respect to civil rights. Um, I 
copied Clark County Sheriff's Department, Maricopa County Sheriff's Department, Senate Committees on Homeland Security and, and Governmental Affairs, uh, the Judiciary, uh, Transportation, um, Oath Keepers. Now they've been maligned, but you know these are the kinds of folks that I reached out to and I got CC'd on this on this stuff. Uh, DHS Fusion Centers. I mean, I went full tilt because you have to bear in mind the perspective here is. Um, these are individuals waging kinetic warfare on American citizens at a concert and with the attempt of murdering thousands. So they got lucky in that they only killed 58. We got lucky, I should say. I think what happened there is you had 450 plus people that were struck by bullets. Um, a lot of those were uh, the bullets had lost sufficient kinetic energy to cause um, major trauma. So you had a lot of like through and throughs with no big blowouts. Um, a lot of the dead were, were folks that happened to have been hit in the head. Um, the bullet strikes, by the way, were mostly, uh, I've heard from other people that were there, uh, were at about 50 degrees inclination, so indicating a really like a falling projectile. And if you do the math on where these flashes of light came from, uh, it, you're you're looking at about six to 900 yards out. And so if they were shooting, um, you know, 7.62 or, or possibly a different caliber, you're losing kinetic energy. So you're not... You can still hit a, an area target and you can still cause death, but not not with the precision or, you know, with the uh, surety that you would closer. And, and hunters would know this, right? Um, you, you don't want to shoot your big game um, with the wrong caliber from too far away because you're just going to wound it. So at any rate, um, back to these flashes. Let's talk about that for a sec. In the Vegas truth community, we started kind of circulating this information, trying to sort out what was what. And we got a lot of pushback from within the community. It almost seemed to be coordinated. Um, and one of the things that we saw was this notion that there was some exfiltration that happened at the hotel, that there was some uh, radar transponder that stopped on the roof of the Mandalay Bay and, um, and, and that they possibly exfiltrated a team. There's a Saudi Prince stuff. And let me just tell you, that's all bullshit. Um, when I have analyzed, analyzed the actual radar traffic um, and correlated it with the air traffic control audio, that signature uh, transponder is a misrepresentation of the GPS coordinate from an, an airplane, which is actually landing at McCarran at that time. So that's that's not a helicopter. There was no exfil. Um, people postulated that those flashes of light could be photography. And so I want to kind of walk you through the thought process there. So I guess they're thinking that maybe uh, folks, somebody apprised uh, of the situation wanted to take pictures of the event and that those flashes were flash photography. Okay. So um, th that fails on so many levels. One, you'd never use flash in open airspace. I mean, you would destroy your picture if you're trying to take an image at night, right? You <laughs> nothing for the flash to bounce off of. And right. um, two, taking pictures from a helicopter is the worst place you could take a picture in low light, right? I mean, you've got vibration from the, the rotary aircraft. I mean, like it's, no, you're not gonna choose that for your pictures. And if you had foreknowledge of this event, and even if you didn't and you just happened to get lucky, why would you break federal regulation and, and turn your transponder off and expose yourself between these hotels for pictures? I mean, it just, it's it's absurd. So what are those lights? Well, they're not navigation lights. Navigation lights are red or green um, or, or possibly a white with a very rhythmic cadence like a flashing strobe. And when you look at the, uh, the, the I'm going to call it muzzle flash, when you look at the flashes uh, emanating from the airspace, it's it's not like that at all. It's a warmer hue. It's irregular and colored. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's muzzle flash, man. 
Uh, that's just kind of what my gut tells me. Can I prove it? Well, no, I wasn't in the air at that time, but I, I don't have another reasonable explanation for what that light is. And the light is corroborated by a second concert goer's footage. So he's it's not quite the high def of the GoPro, but it, it's a second concert goer. We have that footage as well. Um, so you've got multiple people recording these light flashes, this optical luminance between the hotels during that time. You got helicopters with transponders going off. And, you know, I want to be rigorous in my analysis. That does not mean that the Mavericks are the ones that did that shooting. I mean, in theory, you could have had three Mavericks turn their transponder off. You could have replaced them with three drones or some other kind of stationary aircraft and had those shooting while the Mavericks provided uh, uh, plausible deniability. I mean, I don't know what it means as far as um, who was doing it, but I think that investigating the helicopters is is a reasonable thing to do. And, you know, we had hoped that the federal government might do that. Um, we filed reports with the intelligence community IG, uh, the director of national, um, uh, excuse me, the ODNI. Um, we took it as, as high as we could go um, because we don't know if the perpetrators of this were even American. Uh, it could have been a, a foreign adversary or a foreign competitor um, attacking us for, for various reasons. We, we don't know, but, uh, you know, I can say with certainty it wasn't Stephen Paddock, um, you know, who did this, or at least he's not the body on the floor. Um, something very strange was going on in that airspace. Uh, we don't have, yeah, go ahead, guys. I've been rambling for a little bit. Let me catch <laughs> Well, I was just going to say that I, I absolutely agree, and there's so many points to hit on uh, just in, in that you know blurb that you just gave us. You know, first and foremost, when it comes to the question of Paddock having secondary persons among him, one thing that I found interesting in my research uh, in this event was to, first of all, a ABC News report uh, that essentially confirmed uh, that Mandalay Bay staff had heard Stephen Paddock talking to other individuals in his room whilst on the phone ordering room service, which then the FBI very bizarrely and without any reason just claimed, oh, he was just pretending that he was with other people, but he was actually alone without providing any sort of corroborative evidence. And then um, there were some room service receipts that were actually obtained from the trash bin by... Um, I believe like, you know, cleaners, you know, maids and, and whatnot that actually show uh, that Paddock had ordered dinner uh, on uh, dinner for two individuals on September 27th that also seemed to corroborate that he was at least had one other person with him. Uh, so it, it really raises a lot of uh, strange questions. And then when you get into some of his history, and it's sort of like it just continues to unravel this twine ball of just strange anomalies tied to this, such as uh, some of the communications that uh, were obtained indicating that he was possibly some sort of arms dealer, and then that whole business with his second home being uh, robbed and while under police surveillance that they were somehow able to completely bypass to break into his home and burglarize and then his uh brother being arrested for That's child right. pornography charges it's a whole yeah it's a whole web of things and on the, yeah, his the father was a bank robber fbi is most wanted or something the whole family has got this sorted history yeah 
Yeah, and then the one thing you mentioned that since we don't know who carried this out, um, one thing that I did find interesting was that uh, there were some claims by the Islamic State taking a, a credibility or taking responsibility for the attacks. And uh, one thing that is interested, it was explained by uh, Rita Katz, who is the executive director of the Site Intelligence Group, which is one of the world's leading non-governmental counterterrorism uh, organizations, uh, where she felt that that was actually quite plausible that, you know, because ISIS usually doesn't take credit for things that they didn't do. Some They have sometimes, but it's very few and far in between because then if they get exposed, well, oh, you didn't actually do this, you're just lying, that hurts their reputation. So they're very choosy about what they do and don't lie about. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm not aware of those uh, uh, of the claim or, you know, of them taking credit for it. Uh, we could, it's a can of worms as far as who isis actually is right yeah, yeah. Um, when you get into operation temper sycamore and the cia backing it's a- <laughs> correct yeah yeah exactly right but, but cia 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 Just, yeah. <laughs> all right so hey um you know so one of the things this was interesting i uh i gave the foia information to shepherd and bellis over at intellihub and he he published redacted versions of it um and uh Curiously, the the next day or within a week, he was contacted by another source, and that source remained anonymous. But they claimed that the um, the shots actually were. Uh, I'm going to pull it up. The articles, IntelliHub is down. I don't know what's going on with it. It's now it's like a Chinese gambling site. But you can use Wayback Machine to get a lot of information uh, from IntelliHub. And the title was, Was the CIA's Elite Airborne Use of Force Team Deployed on the Night of October 1st? And it goes into great detail about how basically it was an AUF that was used to shoot. Now, I don't know if that's somebody trying to throw throw uh, the public off the trail, you know, or if, in fact, it was a real whistleblower, you know, coming forward. We, we don't know. Um, but I do know that it, it it's you have to have some training to successfully fire from a helicopter. It's not it's not something that anybody can go out and do. Now, granted, you're shooting at an area target, so it's a little easier, but it's it's not an easy thing to accomplish. Um, there was there was a uh, claim that we should talk about. So, uh, on September 10th of 2017, uh, a person on 4chan named John, or going by the sobriquet John, said uh, there's going to be a mass casualty event. Uh, tomorrow in the Las Vegas Henderson area. It's called the High Incident Project, and it's uh, Michael Chertoff and Sheldon Adelson, and they're colluding to create this casualty event to expand the reach of their body scanner technology into federal buildings and high rises and anywhere else they can get it. It's billions of dollars in profit, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so this was picked up by the forward by, um, I think it was Unilad. Yeah, Unilad covered it. A couple other 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 places covered this thing. And what I recall is that the shooting kind of dropped out of the media once that report be surfaced. Um, curiously, I tried to post it um, in the conspiracy theory section of Wikipedia. Um, I properly cited both the forwards covering of it and Unilad's. I used all the correct you know, Wikipedia um, editing and whatnot, and they would not allow that to stand. And I mean they, meaning this team of editors of that article. Um, no matter how it was phrased, they would not let it remain. Um, they claimed that it was an anti-Semitic trope. I countered that, you know, if Italians rob a bank, it, it's not anti-Italian. They're simply the individuals right. who robbed the bank. 
And I'm not saying that uh, Adelson and Chertoff did this, but these these are claims that were reported in major media sources. Why are you not allowing this to stand? And basically, it became an edit war. They wouldn't let it. They wouldn't let it go. And they said 4chan was not a reputable source. But if you go to uh, the Wikipedia page right now, you're going to see a 4chan thing that stays there uh, regarding uh, Paddock as being a registered Democrat. I mean, it's just so it, they didn't want this to uh, be part of the conversation. Um, no, and there was there was one thing really quick that I wanted to, to uh, correct from what I had said previously. I said that uh, the executive director of the site intelligence group, uh, Rita Katz, corroborated or believed it, it was possible ISIS was responsible. Now that I'm reading through my article, that was incorrect. I actually cited where she challenged the possibility that they were responsible. So I just wanted to correct myself on that. Oh, gotcha. Copy that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't know who did it, but it, it's, you know, if you guys have ever delved into the chair talk shenanigans with uh, how he, he let the uh, high fibers go, you know, in 2001 and the criminal division's lack of investigation into controlled demolition in New York. I mean, it was um, he, he's been on a lot of people's radar for a long time. So it was curious that he his name surfaced in this event. Um, the Mandalay Bay, uh, you know, wh why did the public receive such strange segments of video? I mean, they clearly, they can see, you know, your credit card number in your pocket, basically, right? <laughs> if you want to, when you're playing their tables, right? So, so why are we just getting these random, like, why don't we have a full sequence of everything that happened? They just basically gave us clips. That was strange. Uh, James Murren uh, was, uh, you know, he's part of MGM. Or he, he sold a bunch of the stock that summer when everybody was rating it as a buy. So that was kind of a curious finding. And he was on a DHS infrastructure advisement board. Um, so just kind of another corollary there. You know, I'm not saying this necessarily links these people, but you know, folks should be paying attention. And Absolutely. I think one of the things that I just found the most distressing in all of this was um, the the lack of response from the agencies and uh, and communities, frankly, that um, are there to protect us. Um, you know, and uh, I, I I reached out to so many folks, uh, people in our in our truth community, um, you know, public interest folks, uh, the lawyers involved in this, um, the, you know, the attorneys that were representing the victims, uh, they all received this information. Um, you know, and it may just be uh, a, an incredulous response, you know, that it, it is so it, it is so different than everything else they're hearing that they just simply push it aside. This cannot be real. Um, you know, truly, I, I everybody that I've spoken to in the medical community, um, you know, when they see these images, uh, it's it's a categorical. That's not the same guy. Um, and there's and you can frame that too if you ever want to show it to people don't tell them it's the vegas shooting you know just show them the ears and say is that the same person you know and then let them respond and then explain to them what and, and you'll you'll see why would they do that why would they lie um you know so these these are big problems so yeah you you mentioned i think it was something like eight months after the event the the footage started to finally roll out and there wasn't really any footage from the hotel when the event first happened. And a lot of people found a lot of issue with that, you know, because I mean, it's a, it's a casino, right? Like, yeah, as you had mentioned, there's, there's cameras everywhere. So what was the holdup? What was the delay? Right. And of course they finally started to kind of roll out some of the footage slowly. Um, but I actually reached out to our audience and asked them if they had some questions for you and kind of crowdsourced a few questions. So hopefully you don't mind, but no, that's uh, great. Yeah, one of the 
questions was, um, first of all, like how did he manage to bring up all the weapons and set up the cameras outside his hotel room? Uh, apparently he set up what two different cameras outside of his hotel room and one even being on like a service cart, which seems like highly risky and questionable unless he knew he was going to be like committing the, the mass shooting that very moment or something, you know, but it seems like something that could have easily been exposed and maybe even, uh, you know, given away his position and his intentions or whatever. And then the other one too, is that I constantly hear about is like, how did Paddock, how was he able to break out those very heavy and durable hotel windows that are meant to sustain like hurricane winds, not only once, but twice, because there's images of two different uh, windows being broken out of his hotel room. So do you have any speculation? I, I know this is all kind of speculation territory at this point, but like, you know, how did he bring up all those weapons without anybody noticing? How did he set up the, the cameras and like, how did he break out the windows? Okay. I mean, weapons could have been brought into the room with duffel bags. I don't see a problem with that. Um, you know, again, I'm of the perspective that he was not actually the one up there shooting. I mean, just put, it's like a bad movie, right? You have this uh, supposed assailant who's up there with this enormous cache of weapons and full clips and all the rest of it, right? All of his magazines are loaded. And yet he doesn't just continuously shoot. I mean, there's these weird bursts and then long pauses and then weird bursts and then like really long pauses. I mean, you're up there trying to get it done, right? So why wouldn't you just use everything that you mm -hmm. had available? It, it doesn't make sense. And not, yeah, I agree. That not to mention one thing, one thing that stood out to me is that there was also reports from the room service or the, rather the maids, excuse me, um, who cleaned the room, which came out and said that they saw no evidence of any, you know, you think of such a massive cache of weapons, it would be quite obvious like there's there's something stashed up in here and uh, at least one uh, maid said that she noticed nothing weird or abnormal when she cleaned his room yeah i think that's probably true i mean again my vantage point is that the room was staged i think they staged the room i think that mm -hmm. necessarily means that there had to have been some sort of collaboration from um ho hotel employees if that's the case if the room was staged um, at least in not revealing the camera footage, because you would have to know who was going in and out. And clearly right. there were more than just him going in and out. Um, right. you know, so I want to be careful on what I, what I can, what I say and what I can prove. These are ifs, right. Um, sure. I don't want to get sued by Mandalay Bay, but, um, there it's curious, you know, and, and like in the body cam footage, we see Mandalay Bay employees, uh, security staff basically standing at the end of the hallway after he, uh, Paddock allegedly shot down that hall, you know, like some huge burst at Campos. Why would they kind of be nonchalantly just standing around in that hall? They don't know that he's dead or that he killed himself. Um, there were two shots fired and when the police came up that the mandalay bay security never says to them hey we just heard two shots nothing like that uh, no like hey watch out you know he's still alive it's just all very strange um yeah the service card in the hallway that didn't really make a lot of sense to me there was just a lot of things in the room that just are bizarre they're just categorically bizarre and again going back to the you know the folks that were down below it's not until after the two shots that they report seeing glass falling from the mandalay bay so if they mm -hmm. stage the room you're going to shoot from other locations. You're going to wait until the operation's done, and then you're going to break the windows out, right? Why would you break the windows out beforehand and risk a response, you know, when you're not done with whatever you're doing? Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 all very weird. Uh, yeah, one of the biggest anomalies that I remember uh, reading about was the missing hard drive from his laptop uh, in that room because the the official story is that he was alone and there was no one there 
Uh, and yet, if that were the case, how did the hard drive disappear? You know, it, 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 again, it raises so many more questions that the LVMPD and the FBI just refuse to even acknowledge, much less answer. Yeah, agreed. I mean, yeah, that's one of the one of the strange things. Um, you know, folks will. I, I'm not an expert on this, but there's been some discussion about whether the curtains were blowing even like when they, I don't know, there's been some talk about whether the curtains were open or closed when they breached the room. Um, but again, I just, I feel that one of the strongest or one of the strangest things of, of, about the whole deal is, is that they're so uh, insistent on not showing us the body. Um, in the FIT report, which was the LVMPD's final report on the matter, they have this lateral view of who they say is Paddock. And it's taken from far away and it's low resolution. And if you zoom in and look at the ear on that individual, it doesn't look like Paddock's ear and it doesn't look like the leaked image ear. It looks like some kind of weird hybrid between the two. And it's inconsistent with human anatomy. Um, it, it, it looks as though it's been altered, as though it's been photoshopped. And so uh, we asked the LVMPD if they could provide the high resolution image of the original picture from, from that image that they took. Um, and they refused. So it's, um, you know, it's strange. Uh, Mary Lou Danley, his girlfriend or whatever, I guess had a, she had like IRS records. Um, forgive me if I'm not right on this, but I recollect hearing that she had um, payments from the FBI. Uh, you know, some, some other strange things there. Um, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to look into, you know? Yeah, the, the one thing that kind of, uh, you know, as you're talking, it kind of I recalled my first witnessing my the evidence of the, the photo of Paddock when they first released it. And it, to me, the first thing that came to my mind was like, yeah, that's Photoshop. Like that looks totally Photoshop. So I was surprised to hear that the body camera actually, uh, you know, corresponds with uh, that that image. Um, but there are a bunch of different pieces of evidence too that I, I kind of want to just give our audience there was the cab driver video which i know was like a big point of contention for a few months after the shooting because people claimed it sounded like multiple shooters and uh i, yep. I guess um the vegas cabbie her name was like Corey langton she yep. was working that night and she just happened to be close to the mandalay bay and started filming around the time that she heard the gunfire and uh if you listen guys definitely google that um or you know, pre-search or whatever you guys use, I'll probably get shit for that. Uh, or YouTube or whatever video streaming service, it should be on YouTube still. But there, if you listen very closely, it sounds very much like there's two separate streams of automatic gunfire. And um, yeah, as you were already saying, some people claim it was an echo or whatever. Um, so, yeah, not possible. Yeah, I, right. yeah, I've actually witnessed. There was an interview. I can't remember where it was. It may have been on the Alex Jones show for all I know, but there was actually a Navy SEAL who was a weapons specialist who uh, live on air reviewed a lot of those videos, including that particular one. And in his professional opinion said, there's no way it's an echo because he, and then went into the technical details, which I am not an expert enough to particularly articulate, but he went into the details of, of explaining exactly how it is overlapping gunfire rather than echoing sound. Correct. Yep. I've got some great uh, video on that, that some analysis that I'm going to be putting on that uh, vegastruth.org. Um, so, you know, I don't know if it's going to be up in a month or, or a few weeks or, or maybe three months, but keep, keep your eye on it because I'll, I'll have good links to, uh, to that. Yeah. It all has to do with the cadence, you know, so. 
we'll definitely link to that in the the show notes and the description. So yeah, we're we're getting close here. I know we got probably about ten minutes left, but one of the the big things for me is um, like if this was a false flag, like why? You know, like what was the purpose? What was the intent? Uh, the bump stock law legality, as we're currently seeing right now, is crumbling in the courts. So like, what was the master plan? You know, I know, again, we're kind of going into speculation territory here. Um, I did think it was strange that he reportedly brought 12 different bump stocks into the room with him. Uh, that's what the ABC uh, investigators found, apparently. Um, there, there was 23 different guns with him at the hotel, along with 12 different bump stock devices, which is kind of suspicious. I mean, yeah, like if you are going to demonize and vilify a specific you know, piece of equipment for a firearm, like would you really need to bring bring twenty of twelve of them into the room? And like, wouldn't that be kind of uh, you know the first thing that the the media would want to point at? Which you know it right. does seem to kind of correlate with you know why the bump stocks were banned in the first place by Trump. But um, yeah, what's your speculation on that? Like, if this was a false flag. Like, what was the purpose? What was the intent? So I've talked to Stephen Stambouli, the attorney who was representing the bump stock manufacturers. The FBI has not been able to prove that a single victim. Uh, correlated to a single weapon from that room and uh that one reason that 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 laws is you know those proposals are falling apart um they can't prove it mm -hmm. they can't prove that anybody died from those rifles in that room um and so the motive you know ease low-hanging fruit gun control um you know we had the alert from the 4chan guy saying profiteering basically you know through body scanner tech um that would seem to be a reasonable uh, motive you know to just further um you know shepherd us into this kind of dystopian nightmare where you have to go through a scanner to get into a building um you know who knows and 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 certainly there's a lot of money to be made there um you know again it's it's strange that um that there's been so much pushback and reporting that you know and uh even snopes to this day which i'm not a fan of obviously uh you know as, a, as an advocate for truth but they they even leave the high incident project as an unproven uh theory huh. you know they, they can't they can't say false um because it's not false right it is what it is uh it's a report that was made um and it it, it roughly correlates with what happened um you know, I can't think of they they tried to say that that was basically, uh, you know, they got lucky or, you know, this is something that people commonly do there. And, and I challenged them to find a single single other instance of a case where somebody more or less correctly predicted a city um, and, you know, within within a few weeks, an event of, of this magnitude. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think you can do it. So, um, yeah, I kind of want to just, you know, go over uh, again what we know. Um, and how this all fits together into the total picture, you know, let's, I'll leave you to decide, but we know that three EC-130 helicopters turn their transponders off behind the Mandalay Bay. Um, we know that that's a violation of uh, the, the rules of Class Bravo airspace. We know that flashes of light were emanating from the airspace between the hotels during the shooting. Um, we know that the uh, federal authorities uh, refused to release the primary radar data. And by the way, let me add to, to the audience here. Um, they ultimately did. Uh, so it, this took years of appealing all the way to D.C. And finally, the argument was made. Look, the FBI has said uh, in an official proclamation, no broader conspiracy lone shooter. So what are you protecting? You know, what can you possibly be protecting? 
Um, and they did ultimately release that primary radar. They released it in a, a PPB format, which is a format which requires proprietary software to interpret. Um, so if there is anybody out there that's an aviation professional that um, that can graphically render a PPB, I, I would love to get in touch with you. Um, you know, you can find me online, reach out to me. Uh, Jason can provide my number um, because the, the public still needs to kind of analyze this data. And curiously, they gave us PPB um, information. Um, there's a gap in the information they provided. Um, so they, they gapped their disclosure. We're missing the... Um, I've got it here. Well, I, don't, I won't get bogged down by that, but there's about 10 minutes that they didn't provide. So that's a little bit strange. Um, the injuries, I've talked to folks that were there at the event. Uh, there's a lot of people who, who their, their records show they were shot with 762. All of the shell casings in that room were, were uh, 223 or 556. Um, so there's a, there's an incongruity. Um, we know that the bodies don't match. You know, so that's really strange. We know the MGM released an incomplete uh, video record. Um, it's we know that there has been um, a serious pushback from LVMPD and Clark County with respect to, uh, you know, images of that body. It's one of the strangest things of the day. You know, so, again, challenge the public to try to get a, an official record. Um, we know that Murin sold substantial fractions of his MGM holdings before the event. Um, and we know that uh, as far as motive goes, you know, I, I don't know, but we do know that, you know, somebody somebody said, hey, this is Michael Chertoff and Sheldon, Sheldon Adelson um, that are going to be doing this. And and I don't know if they did or didn't, but the Hyatt Incident Project was a real, uh, you know, declaration that was made. And I, I think it's worth investigating. There are uh, two other points that I just wanted to throw in there for the public's curiosity in addition to all of that and also maybe get your take on it in the few minutes that we have left. But I, I remember in 2019, I was doing some further research on the incident and I came across this, a very obscure report. It was almost impossible to find. And now I can't find it. Uh, when I tried to find it again in October of 2021, uh, there was a report from the Las Vegas review journal that there was a mass casualty drill carried out in and around the area of Mandalay Bay about four months, maybe some, sometime around there. It was, it was a little ways before, like a little while before the shooting actually took place, but just close enough to be slightly suspicious, especially when we get into the history of, of what we know have occurred in, in very suspicious sort of incidents such as this, where you have a mass casualty drill taking place either just before or during the actual event itself. Uh, and then of course, you know, the other interesting point for the public to consider just when it comes to the, the cover up of everything and, and how it has been. I know that in the film, what happened in Vegas by Ramsey Dennison, he did a lot of extensive research showing that MGM was actually one of the primary donors for Sheriff Lombardo's election campaign. So just put that little conflict of interest out there. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I did not know about the drill beforehand, but it, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, the guy that I talked to, the counterterrorism guy, he, he said that um, locally, all of the local FBI was invest and and police, they were all investigating multiple shooters, and that basically when uh, Rouse got to the scene, uh, the narrative shifted completely. And so, you know, then Lombardo and Rouse basically said no lone shooter, but uh, all of the the LEOs, you know, on site were all were all looking for multiple shooters. I mean, that was that was the perception at the time. 
Um, and that basically that got suppressed or, or quashed, you know, by, by the DC contingent. Yeah. So, which is interesting because even, you know, for, for the public to have doubts about that, it's still to my knowledge, publicly available that you can pull the, uh, recordings from the, the police scanners that night. And then they very much on multiple different scanners on multiple different frequencies, multiple shooters at, at such and such hotel, multiple shooters at this hotel, multiple shooters in the venue. So it was a lot of chatter mm -hmm. that we can confirm through publicly available knowledge that at the very least, the police were being told during the event, we have multiple shooters in multiple locations. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And I think their instincts are right. I mean, you heard it from the, from the audio, you know, the, the sounds. Um, so I don't know if they were, I, you know, some people that were there uh, had even thought they had wondered if this, the sound of gunfire was coming from the speakers themselves. Um, and I, that's a curious claim. But again, I'm hearing that from people that were actually at the event. Um, and so I kind of try to wrap my mind around that. I'm like, all right, well, what if you did have, uh, you know, actual shots coming from uh, an aerial position um, and you needed to throw people off and you don't want to have actual ground teams getting caught, right, or apprehended, uh, reported on or whatever, maybe you would just produce the sound of gunfire from down in the venue and, and actually have it coming from somewhere else. I, I right. don't know if that's what happened, but it's something to consider. Yeah. I do know at least to one, and I know we got to wrap up, but there's just there's so much information. Um, yeah, I'm good. I mean, I can go a little long, but yeah, we'll, we'll tidy it up very quick. One anomaly that really struck me um, among the eyewitnesses on the ground, there were at least a few of them that's, that personally claimed that they witnessed shooters on the ground, um, and a handful of them mysteriously died shortly after that. Now, I'm not saying that correlation is causation. Of course, anyone can get into a traffic accident or killed in a burglary, but it's just interesting that it happens to that specific individual when they're vocally saying, no, we're being lied to. There were shooters in the venue. The, the woman that you're speaking about, um, so I'm friends with, uh, with some of the people that she was with, and, mm -hmm. um, and so I've spoken to that cohort. Um, they didn't specifically say on the ground, but definitely multiple shooters. They had the perception that they were being shot at from different locations, different angles. Um, mm -hmm. and, and in fact, that they were being like strafed in a way that was not consistent with, you know, one person up at, at, at one sweeping. It was more like that, it, you know, rounds were coming from different, different angles. Um, so yeah, it's, it's weird. And she, and she did die and that was really, really strange. And, and actually a couple other folks too. Um, you know, unfortunately a lot of the victims, I'm glad that they were compensated, but you know, when you, when you take, uh, the payout, you know, you, you don't ask questions anymore. Um, yeah. you know, and that's, and, and this was another strange thing about this is that the department of justice created a massive compensation fund. Um, which is a little unusual for what is a, a crime that potentially could have been, you know, uh, maybe somebody could have been found culpable. So why did the taxpayer, you know, pay out all of, all of this money? Um, I don't know. Uh, at the time, it was President Trump. He flew out to Vegas. He met with Adelson the day after the event. And, um, and, and I don't know, you know, it's also shady. Now we've got Lombardo as the governor there. I mean, it's it's a mess, guys. It's a mess. Yeah, it was a mess from day one, man. And the uncooperative nature of law enforcement and everybody else was uh, was just so suspect from the get go, you know. And then, like, I like several months after they they released some of the body cam footage, and we saw how the police officers were instructed to turn their body cameras off, you know, as they're going as they're going to respond to this incident. Are you familiar with that? 
Um, no, I didn't know that, but I do know that the FBI confiscated people's phones from the event and wiped them. Oh, wow. so yeah. they, they were asking for their pictures. Like, Hey, anything you can provide, please give it to us. And then they would wipe their phones and give them back empty phones. Wow. The wow. Las Vegas review journal actually reported on that. They, um, they released the, the body cam footage of the officer, like the last one to turn it off. She's walking down like these rank rank and file police officers saying cameras off cameras off cameras off and as they're doing that like the cops as they're turning off their cameras they're responding cameras off you know they're they're taking the order it's uh so yeah there's just so much shit associated with the with the corruption and and the cover-ups and everything man it's like i really admire what you've done here to like dig so far deep into it and like you've been blowing our minds this entire podcast man i uh especially with the you know, with the, with the helicopter and, and the, what you did to find the records to show that there was no registered helicopters flying. Like this has been a, um, an amazing journey into this, even though it's only been an hour. I mean, it's been, it's been an information packed hour and uh, I really appreciate it, man. All right. Free thinkers. This episode is nearing its end. Just a reminder, we've been working extremely hard to bring you some of the most powerful voices in the truth liberty movement. We work tirelessly for you to bring these concepts to the masses and to educate and wake up those who continue to sleep. Please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing if you appreciate the work we do. It's becoming more and more difficult to do this, and we can no longer depend on social media advertisers of big tech monetization. Our support network is you. So help us rebuild this organization by going to our website, thefreethoughtproject.com, and at the top, you'll find tabs for our memberships and donations. Also, please review and rate this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you, Freethinkers. Right on, guys. Yeah, it's been fun. Absolutely, man. Well, happy to come back. And again, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to get all this information up and available for folks. Uh, I'll give you some links immediately where people can watch some videos on YouTube. But you know how that goes. They might take them down. So I'm going to have my own website where, you know, people can go and, and rely on it, hopefully. So, yeah, and we're going to put up all your information in the bottom uh, of this podcast so people can click and watch those videos, view those images and, uh, you know, and, and see everything else that you have out there. <clears throat> Oh, right on guys. Yeah. You know, and one last thing, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and, 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 you know, you're an LEO or, or you're a medical professional and, and any of this resonates or, or, you know, you have the expertise, you know, to weigh in on this, like be brave, you know, what, what are we doing? Are we a public who are just, you know, sheep for wolves to slaughter? Or are we going to stand up and say, no, this is unacceptable. Um, you know, we have a judiciary uh, co investigative committee who might be interested in, in, you know, in your whistleblowing reports. I mean, so, so stand up, do something. Absolutely. Now, great point. And uh, just to have my own final closing point here, one of the hugest red flags for me is now, you know what, five years later, zooming out. Like one thing I could say for certain is that the corporate media has just simply stopped talking about this event. And it was probably somewhere around... 2019 where they wouldn't talk about it anymore and even on the anniversary of the event of the event we don't hear a word you know like last october 1st there wasn't there's barely any articles from the mainstream press and every other tragedy we hear about right like at 9 11 ad nauseum uh, pearl harbor and even the parkland shooting but like the largest mass shooting in modern history doesn't deserve any attention or the never forget platitudes so to me that that really does scream that they're trying to 
forget about it. They don't want us to continue looking into it. They don't want to continue talking about it. They don't even want to, you know, give the thoughts and prayers to the, you know, the incident and the fact that there's no, I don't know, there's just no attention put on it. It seems really strange to me. So, um, yeah, you're certainly one hell of a researcher. And as I had mentioned earlier, uh, we'd love to have you back on to talk about the cameras at the Pentagon and try to get to the bottom of that, because I'm sure if you're just as diligent, you know, researching the Vegas shooting, um, you'd be probably just as much with the 9-11 stuff. So uh, this conversation was definitely amazing. And hopefully this gives our followers just one more piece of the puzzle and gets us a step closer to understanding the truth about what happened that day. And Actually, it sounds like with all your research, maybe it presents more questions than answered answered them. But um, you know, we it, definitely it might, you know. But it's like uh, it's like Feynman said, right? If your if experiment doesn't fit your theory, the theory is wrong. Um, sure. So we we have to take this experimental data into our final picture. You know, yeah. otherwise the puzzle image is wrong. So we have to get it right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we appreciate you making the time for joining us, and thanks for sharing your knowledge. All right. Till the next time. All right, guys.